This is One Heat Minute. Drop of a hat, these guys will rock and roll. What's your name? Wayne Grove. Look like gangbangers working the local 7-Eleven. Robbery homicides take you. Give me all you got! Listen. Give me all you got! I do what I do best. I take scores. You do what you do best. I'm trying to stop guys like me. A podcast dedicated to all 170 minutes of Michael Mann's LA crime opus Heat. Ladies and gentlemen, one minute. Welcome to at One a time. I'm your host, Blake Howard. And joining me today is uh, a guy with a stunning resume uh, of contributions all around to some of the coolest movie publications going. Um, a guy who I read the most uh, um, in his most recent assignment because he gave probably the most thorough, uh, I'm going to call it like a compendium, uh, and almost like a thesis on the entire Mission Impossible franchise. Um, you would know him from things like Cut Print, uh, Ebert, Voices, Mashable, Nerdist, Empire, Brightwall, Darkroom, and Little White Lies, just to name a few. Um, but he is a staff writer for Slash Film. His name is Chris Evangelista. He also gives great Twitter. And I was very, very looking forward to chatting to him on One Heat Minute if we could make it work. And we have. So, Chris Evangelista, thank you so much for being a part of One Heat Minute. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Uh, I'm excited. <laughs> I'm sorry that introduction maybe uh, had you a, a little bit on the back foot, but uh, there we go. So yeah. look, we're we're at the 102nd minute Michael Mann's 1995 crime opus. Um, Chris has the unfortunate and I think very fortunate role of backing up after Bill Duke and Dante Spinotti. So we're going to dive into this minute. Chris and I are going to watch together. It's kind of a jam-packed minute um, right as we run into this heist. Uh, and then I'm going to pick Chris's brain about his 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 uh, gauge him on his Michael Mann fandom. Talk about the minute at hand, and then we'll talk about all the other things that we love to talk about on the show. You guys know the format. All right, let's jump into it. Chris, you and I are going to watch it. You guys are going to listen. I'm going to come back and talk about it. Chris, good minute. It is. There's, it's shocking how much happens in that one minute. There's so much going on. It's amazing. Yeah, I, I, I was, I was refreshing myself as a Jew, and I'm just like, God, we jump in three different sequences. We have huge fallout from the previous minute um, with that great sort of, you know, it's almost like a life and death offer that happens between Neil and uh, um, and Don Breeden, You know, yeah, you know, to take take it or leave it. And we get a fantastic. We we get Bud Court getting his uh, comeuppance, which I think we're all cheering for him throwing that jerk dirt bag down in the kitchen. And then we and then we get 
some sort of establishing shots, the calm before the storm that we haven't seen in any other part of this movie. And then obviously that wonderful little electronic theme as, uh, as Neil wanders into this bank in full yeah. kit, ready to go. Yeah. It's very, uh, I, I, it's, it's, there's so much going on, but there's so, um, it's interesting that the way it cuts to those two female characters and then it cuts to, uh, Neil going into the bank because I'm wondering how much time goes by between Bud Court getting thrown into things to <laughs> De Niro walking into that bank. Cause it's, it seems, you know, in the film it's, it's, you know, a minute obviously, but I, I always wonder how long, you know, that, that time frame is. It doesn't feel long. No, because you've got to think he, he walks out, he's exit stage left. Um, in the preceding minute to this one, which is the 102nd minute. So if you're looking at your dials, again, the original theatrical cut of Heat, um, one hour, 41 minutes to one hour, 42 minutes. Um, yeah, when he, he's exited and it's some phenomenal, perfor- like it's phenomenal individual performance work from Dennis Haysbert there sort of taking it all in um, and, and literally, you know, things that, uh, you know, things are burning Things are burning before while he's making the decision. So you know that this can't go well. Everything's burning in the kitchen. Alarms are going <laughs> off. People are being thrown places. But I think it's like, it's just that brief pause. But if we remember, like De Niro's in that kit when we see him make the offer. Like he's there, right. ready, he's there in that cafe where Dennis Haysbert's character, Don Breeden is. He's there like ready to rock and roll. Like they're, they're yeah. walking out the door. I need a driver right now to take me to this bank. So it's almost like... It's not quite two minutes, but it's probably ten or fifteen minutes in the in the yeah. grand scheme of this movie. Yeah, very cool. What do you like? I mean, you're you're um, you know you're a fastidious person for detail and time and pace. You know, particularly if anyone's read any of your Mission Impossible stuff, you talk a lot about you know the the, the there's a real craft when it comes to like pacing out tension in these moments. What what do you think of those besides the charactery moments? What do you think of those like? sort of pacing delivery moments of those two female characters. Cause I like, I think of them as like these big inhales now, maybe it's cause I've watched this movie so many times. It's, it's like, Oh, here we go. Like these are lives that are never going to be the same again in just a couple of minutes. Yeah. It's interesting. So you have like uh, Amy Brenneman she's, you know, she's just going about her day and she's obviously, she's completely oblivious to what, De Niro's character actually does. And then you have Ashley Judd who knows all about what her, what her husband does. And they're, they're on these, these opposite sides of the spectrum. You know, one of them is completely oblivious. One of them probably knows the job is going down today, but they're both, they both seem perfectly calm. Like nothing, (laughs) it seems like nothing is on either of their minds and they have no idea that everything is about to change in like a matter of moments. Yeah, it's. I love the Ashley Judd one because I watched. You watch Edie, Amy Brenneman, and you're like, exactly right. She's just stacking a box of books. Couldn't be any. Could there could not be a more boring task in the world than packing a <laughs> packing a box yeah. full of books. It's so monotonous. It's like this is what I'm doing. And then Ashley Judd just with a coffee and a kid on the uh, a, a kid on the sort of uh, the dining table in the kitchen is just sitting there like morning coffee, morning news is on. This is just another day. But those two scenes, like you said, 
Like they couldn't be more contrasting. One is someone who's completely oblivious, another person who's like completely aware. And we know she's the savviest character probably in the whole film. So seeing her there, it's just like, wow, this is this is very this is very staged and very calm. Right. And it, it's a perfect illustration of one of my favorite things about this movie is that uh, it, it takes the time to show that these people are just quote unquote, like normal people. Like they may do, you know, you know, Pacino is a cop and De Niro is the master thief, but uh, Michael Mann is really obsessed with showing their really ordinary lives. Like, you know, going out to eat and troubles at home. Yeah. It's, you know, other people have said this too, but like this one movie is like an entire season of television <laughs> packed into, you know, yeah. these, these hours. Yeah, it's and and um, and some and it's like that weird borderline because you know you and I are pretty familiar with you know the era of Netflix shows, but like a Netflix yeah. show that has ten hours sometimes or thirteen hours to breathe. Sometimes you're like, they should have just been given six episodes, like yeah, six episodes. Absolutely. They would have done this. They would have done it better. I think that's like that weird thing that Heat is, is this kind of halfway between what could have been like a a short form series. But it is, but it is a piece of cinema. So they have to even be more economical. There's not a drop of fat in my mind on this movie, as far as like, no, that scene's got to go. It's too, it's de- it's deflating the pace when we need it to speed up, um, those sorts of things. But it does take its time with like the full middle core of the movie, having all these conversations with all these characters, all these people, you know, pure human drama. Before we get into, before we get into this moment, I really, it's so cool to talk to you about this specific moment because I struggle and I want to ask you, is like, I struggle to remember what it's like not knowing that this heist is coming, you know, because once yeah. you've seen it, it's almost like it has this indelible mark on your memory. It's there forever. But that, that little silly, like uh, flutter of music, that's sort of the heart, your heart rate completely getting jacked as you, as these guys are calmly walking into this bank. it's such a cool moment it's such a cool moment it is it's interesting because you know obviously we turned it off right when it's about to get good and i felt myself (laughs) being like ah i want to see the rest of it but at the same time i've never watched it this way where i've never really noticed how coolly de niro like strolls into the scene until having to like stop and watch that you know that second before everything starts and it's such a you know, obviously, even if you had never seen this movie before, you know, you know, they're ta- the whole movie they're talking about, you know, the, the big bank job. So, you know, this is it. Yes. And the very, uh, I don't want to say laid back because that music, uh, I guess it, it, it's a stunning contrast because De Niro is very cool. He's very calm. I mean, that's his character in the movie. And he's taking this like leisurely stroll into the <laughs> bank, but the music is like this intense, like, oh my God, something really um, like insane is about to happen right now. And uh, yeah, it's just that interesting contrast where, you know, uh, Michael Mann is sort of like just building us into this, (laughs) this all time uh, incredible bank robbery sequence. I, I, I always wonder when they were filming this, if they had any inkling of like, oh, this is gonna be, iconic like this is people are going to be talking about this specific sequence because i remember even when when heat came out this was all anyone was talking about was this scene like the big (laughs) 
the big banks. Like that's all anyone could talk about. Even, even people who didn't like the movie were just like, Oh, that, that bank robbery scene, you know? And I, I always wonder like when you're shooting something like that, if you just stop for a minute and you're like, Oh, this is going to be legendary. Or if you can't even think in those terms, I, I always wonder about that. It's so interesting, right? Because you, you know, I, I wonder about that too. And I wonder the difference between film, like filming on film, 35 mil and digital. And so, you know, when we're looking at, when we're looking at heat, they're not maybe getting as immediate uh, a look at everything that they're actually pulling together. So like in a digital world, when you look at it, and I think there's some great, you know, in the, you know, knowing the Mission Impossible fan you are, you've probably heard that great Empire tra- uh, uh, chat with Chris McQuarrie. And they're talking about like they're looking at some of the dailies and looking at the lenses and making some director, you know, some visual adjustments, aesthetic adjustments, because things aren't looking fast enough. You know, Tom Cruise is flying on cobblestones on a motorcycle and they're like, we need a 135mm lens here. It's going to make it look better. And so yeah. they, they make that decision. But I wonder in, you know, in the in the in the ninety five movie landscape, if they've got that sort of sense, but you can imagine like the like they knew innately there that the sound from the gunshots that were reverberating in real time needed to be recorded on set. So you got a feeling that right. they know that the atmosphere, at least, they're creating is unlike anything that, that's been seen in a movie before. And you know, you get someone at the peak of like his you know sort of method intensity with like Val Kilmer you know, changing magazines in the upcoming scene that like <laughs> Marines play to other Marines going, if you can't change a, if you can't change a fucking magazine as quickly as this actor can get out of my, get out of my core, you know? <laughs> so like, yeah, yeah, I want, I'm, I'm, I'm sure they had to have gotten the feeling like that. Yeah. This is like, or, or at least if they took a look at some of those dailies that they'd be going, wow, this is coming. This is coming good. This is looking so good. Yeah. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah. So you're a fan of Michael Mann, Chris? I, I, I've, I've sort of waxed lyrical about your fandom of, um, you know, particularly the MI series, but, like, are you a guy that's been a fan of Michael Mann for a long time? This one of your faves of his? Oh, yeah, this is definitely up there um, for me. I uh, I always – it feels so basic to say, this is my favorite <laughs> Michael Mann, but it really is such a, like, a good movie. Um, uh, ever, you know, I've seen this movie so many times, as I'm sure obviously you have too, but <laughs> – Every time I watch it, it just feels fresh and exciting, and it has this pulse to it that so few movies do. But uh, there are, I mean, there's so many movies of his I love. I think, like, after this would be The Insider, which yeah. is a, such a different movie than this. Completely. But yeah, it's that movie is uh, phenomenal and um, collateral, of course. Uh, what else? Um, Thief. You know, I, I pretty much love all of his movies up to public enemies and that's where i started to tap out a little bit i don't really like public enemies and i know black hat has its defenders but i i'm not there yet i have yet no. to see that that director's cut you I, and, I know you and me is. both you and me both we need to see yeah. i need to see this director's cut and in australia we haven't been lucky enough to to have the option and particularly that there's an aussie lead which i at the time was mad it was maddening that it wasn't even released in Australian cinemas. Like Chris Hemsworth is like one of the top five movie stars in the whole world. And it didn't come out here and I was like, God, there must be something 
there must be something with this movie. It must be getting pretty poor reviews. But yeah, no, I, I'm not a black hat def- defender just yet myself for context. Yeah, I, I want to be because there are so many people in, you know, in, in the film community who just love to defend black hat. But I remember seeing that and just sitting in the theater and just being miserable just being like <laughs> oh why is this why is this so bad but i like i said i i would love to delay eyes on that director's cut just to see if it it changes my mind or maybe i should just go back now that i've already had my uh my expectations dashed and now that they're lower i might like it more because i yeah. haven't seen it since theaters yeah but i had a weird i'm wondering about your reaction because with man you know um you know i i adored miami vice on first watch it's really funny, mm-hmm. you know, and, and and now, you know, especially there's a lot of writing recently and there's a lot of, you know, great people in the film community that are talking about like, oh, this was one that people just got wrong. Like they just misinterpreted. This is a great film. And I just remember at the time being on that island by myself, like that island where those Black Hat defenders are. And I was like, Miami Vice is like one of his best movies. I don't even know what you're talking about. It's a great, like everyone with your criticisms, I don't stop. Like this movie's phenomenal. Like this is, you know, it, aesthetically performances writing crisp pace you know it, it comes with that it comes with that pace and i think in this scene like that's it just shows you man who's such a great manipulator of like a manipulator of what what he wants you to feel in any given moment like like you said de niro looks like he's strolling down central park right now and he's walking into this bank like he doesn't it's so casual it could be a you know romance you know almost as he walks into this bank but that that particular really distinct choice of that music in that moment it's it fills you with an unease and you've never even seen the film you're like something big is going to go down here and i'm already my heart's already beating more my pulse is already out my hands are sweating and i don't even know why and it's just this music this earworm that's in there sort of getting you jazzed for this particular sequence to come through yeah, absolutely. And yeah, uh, and I too, uh, I, I just want to back up and say, I, I too uh, love Miami Vice. And yeah. I never understood the, the hatred for it. I actually just rewatched that recently. And wow. it's so, it's so good. I don't know. It's so good. I think people were distracted by Colin Farrell's moustache. I really think yeah, I, there's so much of criticism started with that sentence. What is with his moustache and mullet? I'm like, is that all you saw? In like, <laughs> Is that all the movie was in like two and a bit hours? Yeah, I, I think it was that, and people were expecting it to be more like the, TV the show. 80s show where everyone's wearing like pastels and stuff like that. So, and, and instead, they got this very serious, uh, violent movie. But uh, I love it. it, it holds up so well. It, I think it's actually like better now yeah. than it was when it came out somehow. Yeah. Yeah, you need that little bit of time, I guess. I think people want yeah. the Guy Ritchie, Man from Uncle version of Miami Vice. Like, you need the, like, you know, campy throwback. Like, just, like, writ large, find a dude who looks like, you know, Don Johnson and throw it up on the screen again. Maybe that will get a different, a completely different reaction. Um, so, talking about heat, like, is it something, this movie, as far as action, like, where where do you see its influences going? Because I like to, you know, you, you talked about it being sort of an all-timer and, and there are the big obvious ones, but are there any other films that you see and you're like, this is, there's a lot of, someone really liked Heat when they watched this, you know, when they were making this movie and had it in their mind, you know, because... Oh, God. I feel like any bank robbery movie made after this is just taking from this. I mean, you know, before this, I guess it was like any bank robbery movie before this was taking from dog day afternoon. afternoon. And then, <laughs> and then this came along and it just changed everything. I mean, the most obvious is 
of course, the Dark Knight, which yeah. the first like 10 minutes of that movie are literally just Nolan remaking Heat, basically. And I, he's like said as much himself. And but even, you know, the tone of the Dark Knight in general is very it's like Heat with Batman in it, which <laughs> is is such a strange idea when you say it out loud. But that's that's really what it is. Yeah. And yeah, it's you know, there's a there's a film called. um place beyond the pines which yes. with ryan gosling and stylistically Terrific. that's not really like what man does it, it's a lot bright like it's not as cold it's not as it's a lot brighter it's a lot more uh i don't i don't uh, it's a lot more outgoing it's a more outgoing movie whereas man makes very introspective movies but the first half of that movie with ryan gosling and and he's he's planning those those robberies is is you can just see that heat influence in those scenes. I think even like the mask he wears is like that, the same sort of mask that they wear in, in the bank robbery scene. So even that is there. And Ben Mendelsohn in, in, in place beyond the pines is, is a great substitute for a John Voight, you know, like he just, Ben Mendelsohn looks like a crook. Um, and, <laughs> and, and people have taken that into a whole bunch of larger movie franchises now, but you know, a heavy smoking, you know, dodgy, uh, you know, backyard mechanic, you know, kind of guy who who has criminal connections like he does in in that film is like, yeah, that makes sense. That's a that's a, yeah. to, that's a totally Mendo Mendo maneuver. Yeah, I, I wanted to ask you a question because you, you know you you know this movie so well. So, do you think, in some ways, Heat, uh, for lack of a better term, ruined Michael Band for some people? Because I I always have this feeling that. When people think Michael Mann, they think of this movie. Yeah. I, I'd say this is probably the most well-known movie, and this yeah. movie is so specific in its in the way it is. And while his other movies all have elements of this, you know, they always he loves that shot of the, the lone man staring across the landscape and all that, you know, that sort <laughs> yeah. of thing. But I, I feel that like a casual moviegoer who knows Michael Mann from this. If they sat down and watched uh, Last of the Mohicans, they would be like, what the hell is this? <laughs> I, I, I always wonder if like this has pigeonholed him in the eyes of some people and like they immediately associate this with his work I, and they, they, they see other stuff. And it's uh, a great you know, I feel a, like that. It's a great question. It's a great question. Yeah. I, fa- I found there's two kind of modes. I, I agree. It's like once you have an amazing movie. That especially in recent years, like where people go back and have talked a lot about heat and been like, wow, this movie's pretty much perfect, you know, pillar to post. I had a lot of people who weren't even aware, you know, in my community, maybe it's in Australia, Last of the Mohicans was huge in Oz. It was a huge movie. Like it was absolutely massive. And and so a lot of people who know Last of the Mohicans sort of then rolled into heat as like a huge pivot, like, oh, we're going from like a period, you know, a, you know, a, a period film into, um, you, know, you know, Native Americans and, and fighting and war and sort of, um, you know, that sort of thing into a, a real sort of heavy crime and heist genre. And so um, I've always had people going, oh, I love Michael Mann. I love the first two movies they say is I love Last of Higgins and I love Heat. You know, that's sort of the casual folk that I've sort of interacted with. And then you get the later film goers, and who are ruined by heat and the insider because they think com- kind of everything after is good. They're like, oh yeah, you know, Collateral is really good. Not much of a fan of Ali. You know, there's these two movies that come 
in two, you know, within, you know, the space of uh, four years, sorry, that are just so massive in people's minds and their conceptions of like, this guy's a filmmaker that almost every other movie just falls away. They're like, Heat and the Insider, amazing. You know, didn't even, you know, some of them don't even know that Black Hat exists at this point. You know, the casual movie girl, they're like, didn't come out of the movies. I've never seen it around. I, don't, I haven't heard anything about it. Maybe they stumbled upon it on Netflix because, um, you know, it came up because it's got Chris Hemsworth in there. But yeah, it's a real tough one, right? Because there are filmmakers who they make something that's just so unbelievably perfect that they just can't. You know, I think that that, you know, in a, in a more contemporary sense, it ruined poor Nicholas Winding Refn. For a lot of people as well recently you know i think of drive and people went to, to only god forgives looking to see drive and that movie could yes. not be less drive if it tried it's like we are not making the same kind of we're not even on the same planet as the as as what you guys would have seen in that so yeah i think i don't know it does have that it does have that effect but him man has those two for me i think you know i love heat and this podcast obviously um have demonstrated my unbridled affection for heat um but i think the insider may equally be his best film it is in a completely different way it it is like it's the movie that you could put on three days of the condor all the president's men you know zabriskie point and the insider you could put those four movies on and they would all make perfect tonal sense like they're, they're they're you know i think it's like the 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 long lost brother of the 70s paranoia thriller um, post Watergate, that like is set in the nineties about corporate sort of malfeasance instead of government malfeasance. It's um, it's it's pretty peerless in that regard. Yeah, the, the insider is uh, fantastic. Are you going to do the uh, <laughs> no the insider podcast? <laughs> you, when you, finish? you heard it here first. No, I'm not going to do another. Uh, look, that is a, that's also a good question. I think a lot of people are wondering what I'm going to do next. I can unequivocally say that it won't be if I do uh, another show like this. It will not be a Michael Mann podcast. This is my favorite. This is my favorite Michael Mann. This is my favorite Michael Mann film. This is the film that I measure all other films by. Not just heist films, but all other films of like. If you're talking about perfection, sprawling, epic, scripting, aesthetic, mood, tone, rewatchability, this movie's got it all. It's got it all. But I, I don't think. I don't think I want to subject people, Chris, to another Michael Mann podcast from me. I don't. I don't think I. I don't think I could do that to them. They've been so kind to listen to this show uh, with me, so I don't, I don't want to subject them to anything further, I don't think. Okay. All right. We'll, we'll see. Maybe you'll change your mind. Do the, <laughs> How doubtful the was insider Chris there? cast. How doubtful was Chris there? Thanks. Chris, I felt like I was being interrogated. This is us at Kate Manolini's right now. Chris is like, yeah, what the fuck is that? Barbecues and bowl games? That was his response just now. <laughs> that was great. That was excellent. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah, so we'll see. We'll see. But I, I, right now, uh, as we record episode 102, I don't think I could do another Michael Mann podcast. Not, and not for, not for anything other than to say that this is my favorite film of his. And I think, I think it's the very best. The very best. Yeah, absolutely. Have you seen yes. Widows, Chris? I wanted to ask. I have. I did. I saw that uh, at TIFF. And that is another movie that is clearly... Oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, drawing from this, yeah, and I was wondering, yeah, because for me, I, I watched Widows and I really enjoyed, I really enjoyed Widows um, too, and um, and when I saw it, I I thought of, I thought of Heat. Um, it, it's it's, you know, obviously so different, different socio political landscape that they're trying to cover, and contemporary time means that they're battling their own, a whole bunch of their own, you know, different topics and themes that are different. But one thing I thought that I really liked about Widows is that 
it kind of like establishes characters and lets the characters decide where the movie's going to go almost like, it, you know, it's in the genre. Um, but, you know, leaning into, you know, Elizabeth Debicki, you know, her character and her whole arc. And then you've got, you know, Viola in the, in the lead there and, um, and, and Michelle Rodriguez and, and how their flaws direct how they approach it, I think is, um, you know, and, and, and in Neil's crew's case, it's, uh, you know, they're all so much more clinical and all much, so much more in the same direction. But I just found it really, you know, I had a lot of echoes of that. Oh, this is a human drama that's got a heist wrapped up in it um, at the same time. Yeah, definitely. And it, it, it also does that thing I was saying earlier where, like, where Heat takes the time to show you the mundane lives of all its characters. And that's one of the things I loved about Widows is that, even though that movie is packed with characters, every single character, even ones that should be minor, gets a lot of time to just develop and seem like a real person. And yes. and very few, very few movies in you know th- that are trying to do that do it so well. You know, a lot of you know if there you have, if you have a movie that has an ensemble like that, more often than not, two or three of them are going to get left out. And Widows doesn't do that. It takes the time to give everyone a fair shake. And uh, that really impressed me. Huge supporting character. Like my, my uh, one of my favorite scenes, maybe of this year of maybe of the last decade is the Colin Farrell, Robert Duvall face off. Like where he's like, uh, his character is the, you know, the, the father who's handing over the reins to this political, you know, this political career to his son and his son's such an ingrate about the whole thing. And, yeah. and the reaction, obviously, it's hilarious. Like, I think I wrote in my review that it'd make Joe Pesci blush. But I just love that <laughs> that you get so much time with those guys to, to see their inner workings, you know. And and really, he could have just been a nice and also starring Robert Duvall and he's in it for three whole minutes, you know. But it gave him enough meat in that character so that he had a real nice little, nice little chunky role, did some great interactions. You know, uh, I think The Wire and, you know, movies like The Heat do that, uh, movies like Heat do that so great is um, you have these real great individual scenes where you craft a character and then sort of sporadically you'll just throw three or four characters who haven't had any interactions yet and you just sort of see how those characters bubble together. You know, you've, you're so used to the individual chemistry and you see them bubble together and you're like, oh, this is exciting because they're all in the same room together. It's those really cool, um, you know, those really cool little moments and, you know, as we're rolling into the 102nd minute, um, you know, it's the we're about to see all the characters face off in this big sort of crackling heist. Yeah, definitely. Is yeah. this your favorite part of the movie, the heist that's coming up? Is this the the part that you remember most fondly? You know, when I was younger, when I was a young lad, not that I'm that <laughs> old now. When I was, you know, when I was a teen, definitely the heist was, you know, because it, it's the big shoot 'em up yeah. moment. But in yes. later years. As 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 weird as it sounds, I think my favorite scene now is the the very first time where De Niro and Amy Brenneman's character they go on their date because I love it because De Niro is so awkward in that scene where he's just, he's just like talking about like metals. It's like the worst dating conversation. <laughs> Like no one would care about that. You just talk. You're just talking to them about like rare metals and stuff like that. And because he's not, you know, he he doesn't interact with people. He interacts with his crew, and that's it. Yes. And Amy Brenneman is so uh, dead set on like drawing this guy out, and they go up, and they're you know above the city, and you see all the lights, and they're just having this really clunky conversation. <laughs> and 
I, I just love the way that plays out. I love that he's trying so hard to impress her and everything he says is just so lame, but she doesn't <laughs> care. She's, she's like, she's actually fascinated with like the lame stuff he says. And I don't know. There's just something about that scene that really, it's such a quiet moment in, in a film that's not that quiet. And uh, I kind of love that. Yes. Yeah, that is what a great. What about you? Oh, uh, I'm, I yeah, absolutely agree. You know, as a teen and when I was first in this movie, it's it's both heists. And I think almost the, the opening heist, um, just because I was so shocked at, you know, just so shocked at how amazing it was and how like realistic it felt and authentic and scary, you know, especially when they make the decision to kill the, the drivers, you know, that had a real impact on me when I first saw the film. Um, but as I've gone on, it's, it, 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 it has mutated so drastically. Like I, I think there's whole cor- there's a big corridor, you know, maybe my favorite scene in the movie, you know, let's talk right this very second. There's probably two, but um, the Donald Breeden scene after his first day of work where he's talking to Lillian. So it's Dennis Haysbert's character um, and Kim Staunton and they're, he's had a few drinks and he's in a bar and she's like, I met, I met the owner and, you know, and he's like, uh, you know, I did time for, you know, I did time for stuff that motherfucker does all day. You know, that, that, that scene has such a poignance because she's so, you know, Kim Staunton as an actor in that scene and the way that it's written, she does such amazing work at not saying things and not judging and not giving pressure to this person who's really vulnerable and really wants to fight, you know, really wants to have an excuse not to, I don't know, wants to have an excuse to watch their life burn down, you know, because that's what yeah. that's the the prison of all, you know, you know, the virtual prison of all these in, inmates who come out and come back to the world is that they've got to sort of, they're still kind of imprisoned in this box when they get out, and and I think that this movie just does that so great, and it's such a shorthand. It's like two, it's like one scene. I think that that's the other thing yeah. that impresses me is that the economy of just one scene, and you really get a feeling in your gut so that. As we watch the fallout in the very beginning of this minute, we watch the fallout. Dennis Haysbert looks completely like he looks cold, you know. He and the camera work is so frantic there, where where it's been so perfectly still with him in so many of the sequences. And in this moment, you watch him toss the hat down, and then the camera follows him through the kitchen and watch him, you know, throw this guy. Uh, this scene doesn't work without that other scene. So I think that that's probably one of my favorites, just because of how. It's like a whole mini movie that's told in like three tiny scenes with this character. Um, yeah. And I, it just, it, it, for me, it just like nails every single beat. Perfect economy. Like you, it's, and it's memorable. But the final scene for me is, that's probably my favorite. Just the final moment. That is good. The final moments, because it's, it's got the weight of, you know, about 163 minutes of movie up until that point. And it just loads it up into this emotional moment, this crescendo. And then the score, and it's just doesn't. Oh, it's so good! I'm getting chills right now just like (laughs) thinking about it. Just that that wide shot where they're holding hands, and the music is kicking up, and you you see like the 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 runway lights. It's so good. Oh, it's unbelievably (laughs) good. It's unbelievably good. It's uh, yeah, yeah, it's it's something I'm not quite prepared for to how I'm going to actually talk about it when we get to that minute because you know after every minute of the show, after all the great guests, it's like getting to that minute is going to be like whoa, that's going to be a big emotional moment. I don't know if I'm yeah. going to get through it. I'm going to have to like watch it a few more hundred times um, between now and then before before I get to it. Well, look, right. um, 
Chris, thank you so much for being a part of the show, man. I really appreciate it. Guys, you know, do yourself a favor. Chris is um, at C Evangelista 413 on the Twitters. Um, and if you, if you, you know, follow his stuff, it's great. I think your most recent one that I read, Chris, was your uh, Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. Um, review up on Slash. He's a, he's a staff writer there, so you'll see a bunch of his stuff. But that was a ripper of a review, and I'm really pleased that you could come onto the show. So thank you so much for being a part of it, man. Thank you. This was a, a lot of fun. Thank you for having me. I really had a good time. Awesome. Guys, thank you so much for listening again. OneHeatMinute.com is where you can find everything you need. Um, in the in one of the upcoming episodes, I've had uh, some really wonderful correspondence from a bunch of folk. Um, uh, that, that uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna take some time to call out in one of the upcoming episodes um, with a friend of the show. You would have heard him talking about uh, Michael Madsen way back. Uh, we were talking about the original Dynasty with Wayne Grow. Um, the awesome Oscar Hillestrom is going to join me on the show in the upcoming episode to talk through some mailbag stuff because there's just been some really phenomenal stuff um, from people writing in. So I wanted to make sure I give them a, their adequate shout out. Um, I'm at Blake is Batman, um, but one hit minute you can find everywhere. Spotify's, Google Podcasts, wherever you get your podcasts, you can find it. So check it out. Thank you so much again, Chris. Thank you guys for listening, and hopefully we'll catch you on another episode of One Heat Minute. Just around the corner.